Back to Babylon 5 versus Deep Space 9, the greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. This is Bob from Cascadia. I got Matt from the Southland on the line. How you doing today, Matt? Bob, you made me watch this episode TKO, and uh, mm-hmm. this is the kind of shit that aired at like 2 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and was usually like preempted by NASCAR races. I mean, did this trigger bad bad memories, bad experiences for you, Matt? No, it's just it's just bad in general, and and I'm I'm I don't appreciate it. I really don't. So, I I feel like you're so much more heated about this than you were about believers. Yeah, TKO is just. I mean, at least believers had a was kind of interesting to watch. Uh, kind of like a train wreck. TKO was just crap. I mean, it's just bad. What you you don't think there's an interesting philosophical issue about whether humans should be allowed into enter into the mutai? No, Bob, there's not. There's nothing. There's nothing in regular human life that I can compare this to. I mean, I feel like that's just ridiculous, Matt. MMA is super popular. Dude, <laughs> this, this is not MMA. This is like Mortal Kombat shit that nobody cares about. It's awful. It's so obvious it was just a, it was just a rip-off. So go ahead, and go ahead and get, go and get started. Go ahead and hit the A-plot. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll talk about it. Wait, wait. You mean, you mean people don't regularly die in MMA? No, Bob, they don't. I don't think they do. I don't know. I don't care. I don't watch it. It's, I don't watch it. I don't watch uh, uh, whatever the UFC. Uh, I used to watch wrestling just because, you know, the, the soap opera piece, but that was about it. So what you're saying is that if Walker Smith had come out to Sexy Boy, everything would have been forgiven? Is that what you're saying? It might have been, like, entertaining, at least. There would have been something like some entertainment value. Sports entertainment. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why they needed to keep humans out of the Mutai, man. It would just go the way of professional wrestling. There would be ring music. You know, there would be scantily clad male and female valets. Uh, you know, gimmick matches in the Mutai. Just the humans would ruin the purity of the, of the blood sport. Yeah, it, it was awful. So uh, anyway, getting, this is the one where we learn that Babylon 5 is actually a Mortal Kombat stage you can play on. Uh, anybody creative out there make some DLC for this? That'd be awesome. Right. Um, so when the that's foreign to Bob. He has no clue what DLC is. I don't think. No, no, I don't. Yeah. Downloadable content like add-ons, mods. It's, it's just computer lingo. Are you, video are you game. patching your? Are you asking people to patch your computer? Is there a problem with it? I'm asking people to patch Mortal Kombat the video game to have a Babylon Five stage so that I can recreate this this garbage. How how much do video games cost nowadays? Video games cost about sixty bucks, and, and, and then and then you buy more. That's like a computer patch. Yeah, you buy at you buy additional stuff for it, like downloadable content. Yes, yes, it's a trick. Yes, really, you end up paying almost like by the time you've downloaded all the cool stuff, you you probably paid about a hundred dollars per game, at the least. Have you ever considered downloadable content for the podcast, Matt? Well, like <laughs> I mean, this sounds like this sounds like the greatest scam ever conceived. Like like Patreon, <laughs> I don't know what. So it's like extra levels. Yeah, well, it's like extra like characters or extra like stages. Is what I was talking about here. Like extra stages, ex- just stuff they didn't release with the initial part of the with the initial so, like, release what, of the game. What if what if we recorded your visit to your therapist about TKO and then we <laughs> charge we charge the listeners money to hear it? Like that would that would be the equivalent of DLC for the podcast? Yes, it would be. Which is basically okay. what Patreon would be, in a sense. I mean, when we do it, it just seems like good business. But when a video game company does it, it seems very shady. 
It's, I mean, it's kind of shady because most of the stuff's already been programmed into the game. So really, you're just downloading the code to unlock it. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not working. I don't think they're working on a lot of this stuff after the game comes out. I don't think they're, like, putting the game out. They're like, okay, here's what we need to add. All right. So in the A plot, we have uh, Garibaldi's friend, disgraced former heavyweight boxing number one contender, Walker Smith, arriving on Babylon 5 to redeem his career by being the first human to compete in the Mutai or Trial by Blood, a hardcore martial arts tournament created by the alien species, the YOLO. And then uh, in the B-plot, we have Ivanova's uh, informal uncle, Rabbi Yosel Koslov, arriving on station to convince her to sit Shiva for her father, Andre, who died earlier in the season. So I really just have this big, important question for you, Matt. Um, how, does, uh, how does this whole Ivanova subplot about sitting Shiva fit into your ongoing and very elaborate conspiracy that uh, Ivanova is a traitor. Well, let me put it this way. You can't take a, a few days off to sit uh, Shiva if you're trying to take down a whole station. So sh- her refusal to like want to do that makes sense because she's not going to leave or go do something that would take her eyes off what she needs to be watching. And uh, you know, there's no days off for secret terrorists. This is why she actually waited to mourn her father's death because the more time that's passed between death and the actual ceremony the less days you actually have to participate. This is why she waited until she only needed like a single day to do it and not the traditional seven that comes along with the ceremony. And this, of course, allowed for more spying and sabotage and less mourning. So, yeah, it fits perfectly. I don't see what the problem is. Well, I've uh, in the past mocked this uh, as being ridiculous, paranoiac, uh, the product of a diseased mind. But I have to say, given that uh, Ivanova is now revealing her opposition to the radical Russian neo-communist, that's a quote, people, uh, I've got to say, even though I've actually seen the entire show, I'm uh, actually now much more sympathetic to Matt's uh, uh, wild conspiracy theory. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, Bob. She waited, so she only had to do it for a day, and she even invited Sinclair to make sure nothing weird was going on, like, you know, she didn't miss anything big. You got the commander sitting in your room mourning with you. You know, going back to the Muay Thai for a second, this is developed as like a way for like rival nations to and to fight and settle disputes instead of having to go to war. And it turned into this martial art, then turned into this philosophy and this sporting tournament. It's really crazy that all this crap comes in like one condensed episode of the show. Like they created this whole thing around it. But uh, I do feel like this is something we definitely need in America. What do you think, Bob? I mean, I was a strong supporter of uh, a Joe Biden-Donald Trump uh, cage match for the presidency, and I was a strong supporter of that when it was Trump and Clinton and, you know, Obama and Romney. All that's fine by me. Um, I do have to ask you, would you rather, though, institute the Mutai or the Purge? Uh, preferably Mutai because uh, I wouldn't have to participate. Purge is scary. Like, I don't, that's, that's just... Uh, I mean, you don't, you don't have to participate. You just have to hide from the Purge. Man. I, I don't want to have to do anything. I want to be... <laughs> I mean, what what a typical fat, lazy American! You just yeah. want to watch. You just want to watch your leaders battle to the death. You don't want to participate in the battling to the death. No, Bob. I want to watch them battle to a draw. That's what I want to watch. <laughs> just like on the show. So, so you, what you're saying is, like in wrestling, at the end, it would produce mutual respect. I, I guess I don't. I don't know. It was. It was awful. I. I it's still bad. But yeah, have you watched all the Purge movies? I've only seen like one, I think. I, I've actually never seen any of the Purge movies. Uh, I only know about them from uh, a political comedy podcast I enjoy that sometimes talks about them. I mean, they sound fun. I've just never watched any of them. Yeah, I've, I've never seen, I've really like sat through one all the, all, like I've caught like parts of different ones. 
Yeah, I would prefer the per, uh, the Muay Thai, honestly, just because I don't have to get involved. I could probably just watch it. Shameful. Shameful. Yeah, yeah. so I am. <laughs> uh, an interesting fact that I didn't realize uh, when I was uh, looking up what Theodore Beekle, who played the rabbi, had done in the past is that in the prequel movie, which we will not get to for a long time for complicated reasons, but in the prequel movie of Babylon 5, uh, he played an important Minbari, which was interesting. And he's also Worf's foster father, Sergei Rozinko, on the Next Gen episode, Family. And he gets mentioned a bunch in DS9. At least, I think he gets mentioned at least twice. I, I totally missed that until you put it in the notes, which I guess just says that I'm not as literate as I think I am. So that's <laughs> that's distressing. Yeah, he's, he's very important. Not really. So, but... you know, our, our ethos on uh, Babylon 5 versus DS9 is that we're supposed to be positive, except for when we're talking about each other. So in the interest of positivity, in the interest of uh, helping Matt, uh, process his trauma from watching the Mutai, which even though he wants to watch in real life, he did not enjoy watching uh, in this episode. Uh, I, I thought we could just change the subject away from the Mutai into like, what are your favorite boxing movies, Matt? What are your favorite martial arts movies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, what you just did there, no, it, your, my options were The Purge or The Mutai. Which one do I want to be a part of? I chose The Mutai. You gave me two shitty choices, Bob. Apart from the question, you just seem generally enthusiastic. <laughs> no, you gave me two that. shitty options, and I picked the the little less shitty of the two. You, I'm looking at it right here in the notes where you said, hmm, maybe the Mutai is what America needs. <laughs> do as I you say, don't do as I do. All right, back to what you were saying, Bob, about uh, boxing movies. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Rocky and Raging Bull. Those are about those were my two favorites. Normie bullshit. Yeah, normie bullshit, Bob. I don't. I don't have like. I got. I, I don't go deep in depth with these things like you do. Uh, I, I don't. I, I don't have the time. Uh, let me also. You want more normie bullshit? I also appreciate the whole uh, the Butch Coolidge story in Pulp Fiction, which isn't entirely about boxing, but it's also about like antique pocket watches, gay rape, and samurai swords. So there's that too. I mean, those are all great things. Yeah, that's so, true. So those it's are true. those are those are three boxing related movies i've watched i guess uh but let me i'm, I'm gonna give you an unpopular opinion and you tell me if you you agree with this or not but without the awesome like training montages and rocky and uh, the subsequent sequels don't do you think this movie would just be lost to time oh i totally agree like it's it, it's all about the montage man um and also like one of the great charms of the rocky movies is the soundtrack and i mean maybe maybe i'm just a fool and forgetting uh, how they use it but i don't feel like you can use the great soundtrack songs over the actual fights because that would be weird so you you need to you need to use the great soundtrack songs like survivor from that's rocky three right you need to use that over the training montage not over the actual fight yeah survivor was the band that was like did all the music for like most of the rockies that people remember and usually did the training montage scenes as well I think without all that, it would just be garbage. Like, what are the other Celeste Thelma movies that you could think of? Uh, let's see. I mean, Rambo, Rambo 2, Rambo 3, Rambo 4. Um, oh, Demolition Man actually rules, but that's a that's an outlier. Um, what about that movie where, like, he does, like, arm wrestling for, like, the custody of his kid or some shit? Oh, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. See, those, I think that's where Rocky would be. He, he did a crooked cop movie in the late 90s. I think it was called Copland. Yeah. That like had a good cast, but sounded like it sucked. Uh, I think Harvey Keitel and maybe maybe even De Niro was in it, but I never I never saw it. 
Oh, he did. He did. Uh, he did fucking Cobra too. Have oh, you ever yeah. seen Cobra? I forgot about that. Yeah, I did do that. It it's been argued that Cobra is the essential text for understanding Brazilian fascism. Yeah. Well, what are your favorites, Bob? Q movies no one's ever heard of. <laughs> Actually, I was going to make another point. So, did Rocky One come out in '78? Yes, I believe so. All right. So, you remember in uh, in Kill Bill One, the guy who's the leader of the crazy '88s, and then uh, the guy who plays Uma Thurman's teacher, Pai Mei, in Kill Bill Two. Yes. Yeah, so that's the same guy in, in both movies. Uh, it's Gordon Liu, also known as Master Killer Gordon Liu. And so he uh, is famous for a 1978 movie called The 36th Chamber of Shaolin. That's generally credited as the movie that really made like training montages a big deal in martial arts movies. Before that, it was uh, I think it was mostly just fights, at least from what I can think of like the wuxia and the kung fu movies i've seen from before 78 it's it's more fights and yeah there's a lot of sword stuff but uh 36 chamber of the shaolin really made it more about like you know training and watching gordon Liu do crazy like training stunts it usually gets credited with a big influence on like the luke training scenes in empire strikes back which i think is 1980 right yeah yeah yes. yeah so now i'm wondering how much it, how much it was master killer gordon Liu, and how much it was uh, Cy Stallone as Rocky that uh, influenced uh, the Luke training sequences in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about that. Yeah, where he's got Yoda on his back and he's like running through the Dagobah forest or whatever. Swamp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like, I think like, do, you know, like having to stand, doesn't he do like handstands for a long time and like, yeah, also like put, stack rocks with his mind? Yeah, yeah. He uses the force to like be upside down and stuff. Yeah. Nice, nice. Going oh, back yes. real quick, just a quick correction uh, for the nerds. Uh, 1976 was when Rocky came out. Oh, okay, not man. 78. Maybe maybe Rocky actually influenced the 36 Chamber of Shaolin. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> um, so yeah, no. Despite the fact that I was uh, I was shitting on your taste in boxing movies, actually, I I like the Rocky movies and Raging Bull a lot too. I, I would say of the Rocky movies, I actually like Creed probably the most uh, from 2015. And then another favorite's The Setup, which is a film noir from 1949, um, which you will call an obscure bullshit movie nobody's ever heard of. But uh, two interesting things about it. One, it's probably the main inspiration for the Butch Coolidge story in Pulp Fiction, although there is uh, less rape and uh, less samurai swords. Pocket watches? Um, actually, yeah, time and, uh, time and a clock is a major part of The Setup. Wow. And it's also only like, I think, a 65 minute movie, if I remember correctly. It basically actually takes place in, in, in real time. It's kind of cool. Um, it's also directed by Robert Weiss, who uh, would direct uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. So, you know, it's sort of just, you know, distantly relevant to our podcast. Star Trek one director yeah. of that movie. I, I don't know if I'd like want to be known as that. I mean, he also did the sound and music and a bunch of other stuff. Oh, he, he he did all the boring movies from my childhood. Awesome. Oh, that now I'm going to have to look up the other stuff he did because you're <laughs> slandering him. Now, he was just like one of those uh, old Hollywood directors who would do whatever they handed him. And, oh. you know, I honestly cannot make it through the sound of music. So, oh, yeah, no, the sound of music's awful. I'm not saying that. West Side Story. Yeah, he did West Side Story. That one's OK. Oh, the body snatcher is great. It's a great uh, Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi horror film. 
one of the best uh, haunted house movies. That, didn't they just remake that as a TV show for Netflix? I want to point out that looking at his directorial credits, uh, uh-huh. after 1979, he didn't make another movie for 10 years. What movie came out in 1979? Oh yeah, Star Trek mm. The Motion Picture. I, 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 what, did Rocky Three come out in 1979? No, Bob, Star Trek The Motion Picture. What I'm trying to say, Bob, is after Star Trek The Motion Picture, he didn't direct anything for 10 years. <laughs> I mean, t- to be fair, the man had been directing movies for 35 years at that point. Are you trying to say he's too old to direct? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm saying that he might want to head, enjoy a uh, peaceful retirement, uh, free from the hate mail of rabid Star Trek fans like you, and probably also free from having to deal with uh, Gene Roddenberry. you trying to say that his magnum opus was Star Trek The Motion Picture? I don't think that's what I said at all, but if okay. that's what you heard, I guess I can't control that. Okay, good. Let's talk about, how about martial arts movies? Let's move into that category. Yeah, so I already mentioned uh, 36 Chambers Shaolin, and um, the other three I would shout out are The Five Deadly Venoms, which is another Shaw Brothers movie from 78, and then um, Ang Lee's 2000 movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I guess I already mentioned Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. All right, once again, I haven't watched as many martial arts movies as Bob, but I did enjoy Drunken Master with Jackie Chan. That was a cool one. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty funny. There was actually Normie a shit. remake in like the the '90s or not around 2000. Uh, the original came out in '78. <laughs> and here's another unpopular opinion for you. I actually enjoyed the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie, not the sequels, but just the original. Does Nicolas Cage play Johnny Blaze in that movie, or am I misremembering? I think you're misremembering. Okay. And did you like the new one? No. The new Mortal Kombat. I mean, nah. Okay. Yeah. What 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 was the problem with it? Boring and just uh, the 1995 one did not take itself as seriously as this new one. It's trying to be like mm. gritty and stuff. I, I don't I don't. It's not that's not Mortal Kombat. It's it's, it's supposed to be stupid. Like, <laughs> so you think the Mutai could fix American society? Do you think Mortal Kombat could fix the Amer- American society? Uh, possibly. Okay. Okay, and. I, I assume you would prefer even the contemporary Mortal Kombat to the to the watching the Muay Yeah, I'd watch the I'd watch the contemporary Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. How many uh, How many sequels were there to the first Mortal Kombat? I think two. Okay, they were, they that, were awful. I, yeah, just direct to video garbage, I guess. Yeah, yeah, garbage. Okay. Uh, oh, it was Johnny Cage, not Johnny Blaze. Johnny Blaze is Ghost Rider. Oh yeah, my bad, my bad. I think Johnny isn't Johnny Blaze also a rapper's alias. Probably, but I'm sure he's like been with one of the Kardashians, though. So we'll figure that. Well, I guess hey, uh, <laughs> we've uh, <laughs> I guess we've dodged uh, talking about the Mutai enough. So it's time to transition over to uh, collaborators or the collaborator. Excuse me. Yeah, let's talk about collaborators, which was a way better episode. DS9 uh, killed it this week. Not even a contest, really. So in uh, the A plot, we have Vedic Wynn assigning Kira, who still steamed about Vedic Wynn attempting to orchestrate the assassination of Vedic Burial in the DS9 season one finale. But Kira is assigned by Wynn to investigate information from occupational government secretary Kubis that Burial, who's also Kira's new lover, was another Cardassian collaborator. And then in the B plot, mostly to assist Kira in this investigation, we see Odo do a sad 
Quark do an illegal and O'Brien do a hacking, which I've noticed seems to happen more often this season and also seems to be a bit silly. I, you know, I, I think of O'Brien as a mechanic, not as a computer scientist. So I haven't really loved uh, him doing all these uh, computer stuff. Yeah, he goes like deep into hacking too. I mean, he's doing like major hacking, not just like your basic stuff. He's like taking people's eye scans and like finding out who actually put their eye to it. It's crazy. Maybe maybe this is the amplified computer skills that Brian has after uh, taking on Pup as his new pet. Or I mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe engineering like in the future though is more computer based because everything is you know centered around the computer itself. I mean, I, I, that's that's my thoughts. It's kind of like going to a mechanic now. Like now that we have electric cars, it's very different. You know what I mean? Like when you take an electric car to a mechanic, they have a lot of different things they have to do. Yeah, because they got to be careful not to set the battery on fire. Yeah, there's a lot more yeah involved with it as opposed to like just an old school car. All right, so this is the one where Vedic Wind becomes the Kai. There you go. It's simplified. Uh, a beautiful moment, uh, a long, a long deserved moment for uh, for Win, and I, I think a great movement towards spiritual enlightenment for the Bajoran people, if I do say so. Thank you, Vedic Win. No, I'm, I'm not Vedic Win. I'm just, I'm just no, a no, fan. Just, no, just thank you. I'm just thanking Vedic Win. Oh, 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 yeah, for her service, for yes. her service, for what she's done. <laughs> All right, so uh, this episode starts off with like one of the most captivating teasers in DS9 and DS9's really been really good about this of like catching your attention at the beginning of the show uh, unlike Babylon 5 which just usually has like some random thing that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode usually usually in, in the Babylon 5 opener it's two people arriving on the station uh, and you can rest assured that one person will play into the A plot and one person will play into the B plot yeah it's not very original but in this episode you have Prylar Beck like hanging from a noose uh, from the promenade which was just a really good, like, it made me want to watch it. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And you had Kira with, like, a paddle ball, like, thing going. I'm like, what's what's going on? It's, it's freaky. Uh, but apparently those uh, Bajoran orbs give you, like, crazy dreams. Uh, what I refer to as melatonin dreams. Yeah, uh, what, what the hell is a melatonin dream? So, like, you know your body produces melatonin to go to sleep? Well, you can go and you can I, buy I something. I didn't know that, actually, but okay. Yeah, you can, you can buy... Are you trying to sell me a healing crystal, Matt? No, Bob. I'm trying it to. Sounds you're, like you're about to try and sell me a melatonin crystal. supplements. Basically, take it and like it makes your brain produce more melatonin. And if you've ever done that, your dreams are like insane. Like they're just you'll have like exactly what happened to uh, Vedic Ryle. Ryle. Yeah, yeah, you'll. I, why can't I not remember his name? It seems like every episode has to be remembered. I mean. They use him well, but he's not a particularly interesting character. Well, I, I was going to ask. Uh, since we can grant that Twin Peaks has the best dreams and Sopranos the second best, um, who does dreams uh, better after that, DS9 or Babylon 5? But I think you've already given us the answer. So I guess instead I'll ask, um, is Vedic Burial an orb vision junkie? I think so. He's constantly looking into that thing. I mean, he did it like three or four times in this one episode. Yeah, I, I, it almost felt like you were watching like a PSA about like the dangers of holodeck addiction or something. Yeah, what uh, do they all get their own like orb or something? How does this work? I, I'm I'm lost as far as like who gets an orb and who doesn't. I can't remember the number of orbs they have on Bajor now, but they have a, at least a couple, I think, and that it seems like they're just held in religious places 
it seems like, you know, because he's a high ranking uh, member of the Bajoran clergy, he has easy access to them. Although it's not super clear, like, can like, can like, you know, civilians for lack of a better word, just have an orb vision. Um, a, I don't know. I, I don't think we ever see anything like that, but you would assume that like, if this was the, your religion, you would assume that, you know, a lot of, uh, the, a lot of the adherents of it would want to experience orb visions. So it seems like Burial is just hogging all the orb visions for himself, but I don't know. Yeah. It is, I mean, can you, it, I figured you could like go rent the orb for like an hour, check, try it out or something. If you're on Bajor. Yeah. You, you, I don't know. It's like you want, you wonder, do, uh, do increased, uh, uses of the orb, like threaten to burn the orb out perhaps. Yeah. Or does it burn, does it burn your brain constantly using the orb making you crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Wild stuff. Wild stuff. Think about, uh, let's talk about Cisco for a second. He only has one scene in this episode, but it's like an awesome scene. Uh, and I'm so glad he's smart enough to see like Wynn's request is just a political ploy. Like mm-hmm. we have a very smart, politically smart uh, commander on the station. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's kind of interesting in this episode because we sort of see uh, DS9 do a kind of similar storytelling technique as Babylon 5, where like, you know, the issue is more like the interpersonal drama of stuff on the station or near the station. It's not so much like, Oh, you know, we caught subspace seaweed in the wormhole and it's a it's a proto universe and we all have to stand around ops and say techno babble about it till we solve <laughs> it. Um, and it's it's particularly kind of interesting because you see Kira have an awful lot of autonomy in um, this episode, which you know, I haven't I haven't done any sort of scientific survey, but I feel like the exos in Star Trek episodes usually don't get that level of autonomy unless there's like weird circumstances or the captain's out of commission. So it's kind of nice to just see Kira basically like run the episode. Um, although I, given that it's a Bajoran religious matter, that's kind of the crux of it. You can kind of understand why Cisco is, you know, kind of staying back away from it. He considers it an internal matter. And yeah, I agree with you. It was a good scene with Cisco. And yeah, just in general, I, I think it's that is actually a real strength of both shows, uh, DS9 and B5, that they can dispense with the sort of you know procedural elements of Starship shows and just tell a bit more varied and a bit more human stories a lot easier. Speaking of like looking at the other scenes though, like with Quark, and you mentioned this in the in the B plot as well when you were doing your summary, but like he's the, like the one guy to go to for doing anything shady. Is there like a literary word or a a trope for that in a uh, in science fiction? <laughs> had they not had Quark, they really wouldn't have gone anywhere with what they were trying to do. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like there should be, but I I, I was perusing TV tropes a little, and I couldn't find a good one because you know TV tropes loves to give names to such tropes. Uh, you know, they have neighborhood friendly gangster, but I, that's not exactly what we're saying. But yeah, I, I think what you're identifying is a, is a trope, although other examples aren't coming to me off the top of my head. Maybe Neelix does sort of that in Voyager, but it's a lot less criminal and a lot more annoying. Yeah, it's just like without having Quark on the station, they would be so screwed, like on so many times, like the plot would just come to a screeching halt. In a sense, Quark is like their savior. He's the true prophet. The prophet of crime. <laughs> Uh, so at the end of the episode, we learned that Brow was actually protecting Kaiopaka, uh, 
wouldn't Apocket's decision to kill 43 Bajorans, including her son, to save 1,200 Bajorans make her like a hero? And Brile, wouldn't he, wouldn't that have helped him win? If it came out that, like, Billy Graham had a son in Vietnam and he figured out that, like, oh, I can, uh, I can either get 1,200 American soldiers massacred or 43, and I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, tell uh, the Viet Cong where to massacre the 43. I, I mean, granted that, that analogy falls apart for a lot of reasons, but I, I, I don't think people would treat that as being a hero. I think they would treat that as treason, like. You know, nationalism isn't usually that big on utilitarian logic. If it was, we never would have gone into Iraq or Vietnam. Why did you choose Billy Graham? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it was him or Pope Francis, I guess. And I like it's, Pope Francis, it's, so. It just came out of thin air. It's like. Well, what, 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 if you had to pick a religious leader to compare to Kai, or Kai Opaka, which one would you do? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, and he's like Billy Graham is, you know, talked to a lot of U.S. presidents. And I think if I recall right, I haven't done my reading on Billy Graham recently, but did try to push American foreign policy into, you know, certain sort of aggro directions. I was thinking of a Peter Popoff, Bob. He's the faith healer, the one that like touches their heads. But I, I don't think that I think that analogy breaks down. Like who the hell listens to a faith healer? A lot of people, apparently, because he's done it like four or five times. <laughs> He's yeah, from... but like, it seems like the Kai is basically the leader of the Bajoran people. Is Billy Graham the leader of the Christian people? Yeah, I would say for fundamentalists in America, basically, yeah. He, and that was my impression is that he was basically the fundamentalist pope. I mean, he didn't really have the authority of a pope, but just in terms of like, you know, prominence and perception. How about that female preacher? I, I just want to say that it's a... It's probably not a credit to my uh, my religious and conservative upbringing that whenever whenever you say the words female preacher, I immediately get defensive and suspicious. <laughs> yeah, Bob, we got to work through these problems. This is this is a it's not a good thing. Got you got to get past that. Joyce Meyer, there we go. Joyce Meyer, that's the guy. Joyce Meyer. I guess you're just more uh, you're more in touch with authentic. Uh, southern religious leader culture than i am matt and none of these people mean anything to me that's right folks joyce meyer is our kai wild you watch the righteous gemstones yeah oh yeah good stuff good stuff oh that's a great show fantastic show hell i mean like do you like to eastbound it down vice principles i mean because vice principles is basically a documentary about your life right Actually, yes, it pretty much is, yes. And... <laughs> I, I, I should have gone into the same line of work, and I could have been the Danny McBride to your Walton Goggins, but friendly. But yeah, it would have been awesome. would have been great. would have been great. Yeah, what a what a great show. I, I tell my Northwestern friends that uh, if you want to understand what the contemporary South is like, you just need to watch Danny McBride shows. It's ex yeah, that's very true. It's exactly what it's like. All right, so let's move on to our watches real quick. Uh, Thirst Watch, we have Kira... Lusting over Baral. We have Lo Odo lusting over Kira. And then we have a naked Vedic win at one point, which I thought was just out of nowhere. Well, yeah, and also we have uh, Baral lusting over Kira. Yeah, Baral lusting over Kira, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, all that was good. All that was fun. It, it, I liked how subtle the, the point with Odo looking disturbed when uh, Kira tells him that she loves Baral. You know, it was just, it was, it was nice and it was relatively quick, but it was, it, you know, it was, it was an interesting way to handle that. 
Yeah, it was framed perfectly. Like they they did a great job with that. Just it was just like a slight change in his facial expression, but it was just enough to let you know, yeah, he, he totally has it for Kira. Mm-hmm. So had speaking of Thirst Watch, had you forgotten about Catherine Sakai? Yep, completely forgot about her. I haven't seen her or Jakar since that uh, episode where Jakar saved her. Oh, surely we've seen Jakar since then. I maybe i don't know it seems like it's been forever must have oh man you're gonna make me fact check you on that sorry it seems like it's been forever it has been a long time um but no i mean he's in the main cast he he's been in he must have been in episodes i feel like a lot of these people that that wear the heavy makeup and stuff like they're only like they agree to do like six episodes or something and the rest they had to work around We've talked about this before. I feel like on Deep Space Nine, like you see most of the characters with the exception of Bashir, like every episode. Babylon 5, you really just see like a certain group of people. Like you don't see everybody every episode, with the exception of the three main Sinclair, Ivanova, and uh, Garibaldi. Although I think there are even some episodes where you don't necessarily see one of them. Oh, yeah, there's some, but I mean, like, you usually, yeah. for the most part, they're, all three of them will be present. Yeah. I, I feel like they do the thing a lot. You, you talked about this episode, how you only had Cisco in one scene. And I, I feel like they do that with um, Sinclair fairly often. Okay, so uh, I, I went up to the Helpful Babylon Project wiki, and Jakar has last appeared in By Any Means Necessary, which that's the labor unrest episode, right? And that was the one where he was trying to ship in the plant for the religious ritual. Yeah, so that was like, what, like three episodes ago? Uh, maybe more than that, because I, I, I couldn't quickly tell you just because the order we're doing them in is not usually the order they're listed in. Is it true, like most of the ambassadors, though, in season one, like they're not, all three aren't there at the same time, it seems like? I, I, I certainly feel like they're very selective about using them. And even though I think Jakar has been absent the most, there are um, a lot of episodes where you don't see Londo or you don't see Delenn. I think that starts to change. Maybe maybe it still holds true in season two to an extent, but I think that starts to change because, I mean, I don't really think it's a spoiler to say that, like, Delenn, Jakar, and Londo are, like, really essential characters for the show. So, you know, they, they, have, a he they have heavy plot focus in the later seasons. We got anything for Econ Watch or uh, Deep State Watch in these two episodes? Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of Deep State stuff with, like, you know, we find out, like, the true scandalous history of uh, Kai Opaka's role in the Cardassian occupation, but no, nothing that interesting. Yeah, that was kind of the, the framework for the whole episode. Yeah, I, I feel like we covered it pretty well. Yeah, I, I don't see anything on Babylon 5 that fits either of those two categories. I mean, you could do an interesting Alex Jones-style conspiracy theory about, like, why they're allowed to host the Mutai on Babylon 5. But, I mean, I think it ultimately just comes down to, like, if Commander Sinclair will uh, let you kill your child over your religious beliefs, he'll certainly let you host a blood sport. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's the, That was exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> I was like, well, he's okay with killing children. Uh, I, I don't see why he'd have a problem with this. Hell, he even attends the, the, the fight, so... Hey, man, Commander Sinclair believes in showing up to whatever functions are happening on the station, and, you know, if that's uh, Shiva for his exo's uh, departed father, he'll do that. And if it's his friend's friend is fighting in a blood sport, he'll do that. And, you know, if it's the ritual sacrifice of a child, he'll show up for that, too. Is Commander Sinclair the real Pizzagate? I feel like we're talking ourselves into this. <laughs> Commander Sinclair 
is involved with a lot of things he probably shouldn't be. <laughs> I feel like he's kind of, it's almost warranted now at this point that he should be, you know, raked over the coals as far as all these different people coming in and trying to, so them, them coming in and like, you know, checking to see what he's doing to make sure he's not a traitor, but really they need to be putting their, their focus on Ivanova. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I just had this funny image of like you with like Ari Benzane's haircut, like, pounding the table in the interrogation room and uh, berating Ivanova for not holding Shiva for her father sooner. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I believe you will use the uh, the line, if you can't even be loyal to your own father, how can we expect you to be loyal to the fatherland? Exactly. I still, I can't tell how much is a bit, and I know this is like going back, but I it still amazes me how much you watched both Eyes and the Drumhead and you were like, Ari Benzane and Admiral Satie, good officers, doing a good job investigating issues that need to be discovered. Yeah, they are. They've got to do their they've got to do their job, Bob. They almost did a great job, they just let the they let it get to them. I it's mean hard. they just it's they, hard. they loved they loved their job so much and they just took it a little too personal. It's, it's difficult up. work. It's not easy. I mean, you're you're just talking yourself into being Walton Goggins from Righteous Gemstones here. <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah, totally you are, bro. Totally you are. <laughs> All right, so let's talk favorite episode. Favorite episode is The Collaborator, and if you say TKO, this will be the last episode of this podcast we ever record, Bob. What if I say TKO Laborator? There you go. That's good. How about your favorite character, Matt? Had to be Odo. Uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier with that, just that small facial expression, Odo tells us just how much he cares about Kira. And props to Renee and thanks to the writers for not making it this like in your face, you know, obvious that he's he's falling for Kira and not pushing it too far until I think we don't even go back to this until almost like season three, season four, or somewhere down the line. I think it's season three. Yeah. Yeah. For me I would say Kira. It's a very good spotlight episode for her. I do sort of like the uh, I do sort of like the moral dilemma she's put in where she likes Burial personally, but ha has never really liked his sort of, you know, kind of more liberal uh, version of the Bajoran religion. And then so she's briefly thrown into this moral quandary where it's like, oh, God, I've been sleeping with this guy who's a collaborator and who's everything I once thought about liberal uh, Bajoran religious leaders. <laughs> so I, I thought that was a really uh, enjoyable, uh, enjoyable character beat for her. So uh, let's look at next week. We've got Babylon 5, Season 1, Episode 21, Legacies, and DS9, Season 2, Episode 25, Tribunal. Uh, Legacies is like the plot of Logan. Never watched it. Uh, you should. It's, it's, good. it's probably the, be the best X-Men movie. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really like Professor X. I don't really like Wolverine. I don't really like X-23. You just don't like X-Men then, Bob. That's your problem. No, I like I like almost all the other X Men. I just, no, you don't I like Logan, don't like Professor them. X, or X twenty three. You do not yeah. like X Men. I I even like uh, Cyclops after two thousand. It's okay if X Men's not your cup of tea, Bob. It's fine. No big deal. All right. I I think there's not another X. I think I don't even know if there are other X Men characters I dislike. I just dislike those three. You don't like Wolverine or Professor X. No. You don't like X Men. All right. Tribunal is a basically a Brian torture porn. Yeah, because of uh, Irish identity politics, we're mostly skipping the episodes where O'Brien is abused. Uh, but this one does give us some fun insight into the Cardassian justice system. So we're, we'll see it. Good times, good times. All right, well, I look forward to it, Bob. 
All right. So this has been Babylon 5 versus uh, DS9, the uh, greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows, although this episode it probably was not the greatest. And uh, I am Bob from Cascadia. I've had Matt from the Southland on the line. Thanks for watching or listening. God dang. This. <laughs> <laughs>